On Before the Bestseller, we talk with our favorite authors about the books they wrote and the stories behind how those books made it big. I'm your host, Alex Straffy, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Michael Drew has been kind enough to come back on to talk about the list. Now, as you find out, 20 minutes was not enough for this conversation. And so we definitely will be having Michael back on the show. But in today's episode, we really focus on the New York Times list and what it takes to make that list. And Michael Drew speaks from experience and goes over the different standards that the New York Times uh, enforces in order to hit those lists. So welcome back, Michael Drew. And for those of you that are interested, his website is promotabook.com. For those of you that are interested in uh, checking him out further. And also, if you subscribe to our newsletter, I'm going to be sending out a uh, how to market a book guide that Michael and his team have put together so that you all can get access to some of the things that he does to promote books. So with that being said, welcome back, Michael. Michael Drew, I I got to say this is the most fun I have genuinely had uh, during an interview because oftentimes I, I interview such niche experts with different things. And this time you are someone who's just been in the publishing industry for so long. You know about so many different things and you've really narrowed in on making the lists. Um, lists, you know, when I say lists, I mean USA Today, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Um, would love to hear the breakdown of these lists, what authors need to do to hit them which authors should be considering hitting the list versus ones that shouldn't be? Um, and, and how does that, what should their expectations be when they hit these lists? Because I've also seen authors come to me who've been like, oh, I hit the Wall Street Journal list and they're selling zero copies. And they expected that the, hitting the Wall Street Journal list was going to make them sell copies. And uh, and I haven't seen that happen. So yeah, I would love to just hear a break. Like, give it to me. School us in the list. So, so I think it's going to go back to the end of our previous interview, um, which is about... Um, what are we defining and measuring for success? A bestseller is part of a strategy. It's a. It, it might be even a tactic within a strategy, but it's not the strategy and it's not the outcome and it's not the measurement of the outcome, right? Um, a bestseller list gives credibility to who you are. And and there, I have I have competitors in the industry that broke out from me who used to allow their authors to buy their way onto the list, like buy their books and warehouse it themselves, not going to real people to be able to get the credibility of being a New York Times bestseller. And there is some basic intrinsic value to being able to say that you're a, a New York Times bestseller, but it's limited um, to, to, it has some some fairly clear limitations. Um, but what I like to observe, which I saw in the previous interview, was that my clients have 110 of them that increase gross revenue by a million dollars permanently uh, per year. I have seven clients that permanently increase their gross revenue by 50, and five that increase their gross revenue by 100 million. That's not because we hit the bestseller status. That's because when you run a campaign properly, it's the activity, the motion of hitting the standards. Mm-hmm. That give your business the value of that the, the biggest value of that bestseller status. It's not just checking it off. It's authentically doing the work, and it's a lot harder to do the work than it would be to just pay people to 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 do that. And so the reason why I'm around and the other folks aren't that because because they let their clients by the way on is that my clients get the intrinsic value of doing all of the work. If we miss the list, we never miss the list because I get I get incentivized bonuses to do so. But if we miss the list, we we have grown their company in such an extensive way that they're happy. 
Um, and it's actually something I discovered very early in my career that uh, there's a, a very big name in the personal development industry. I just love being a publisher. And as a publisher, when running these campaigns, um, all I had to do was, was the, the mechanics of making sure that we have the sales and that we're being processed. And I wasn't worried about the business component of, of how and why we were generating the sales. And I put like three clients on the bestsellers list, did exactly what I promised, and they weren't happy. Not because I didn't deliver what I said, but because they didn't want bestseller. They wanted what, what they viewed as the benefit of being a bestseller. And so what I became a very quick student of was platforms, marketing platforms within influence for influencers and thought leaders so that I could not just make the bestseller list, but do so in a way that hit their actual objective. And it was at that point that I'm like, cool, what's the objective that we're trying to create? What's the strategy? And, and what are the tactics that go with it? Because the bestseller is just an outcome of doing all of these other things right. And so that, that therein lies the big distinction between me and anybody else is that really at the end of the day, I'm about building a business, utilizing a book, not just making the, the bestseller status. The, the bestseller is hitting a set of standards, which I'll, I'll go into uh, in a moment. But really, the first thing that you have to de decide based on your existing business is what is that outcome? How are we going to measure that? And then what is the strategy to do that? And then what is the tactics to be able to make that happen? Now, I mentioned on our previous interview that on average, it takes three to five books for my clients to get to the point where they can run a New York Times bestseller campaign. And the reason for that is that the standards, which change every five years or so, the standards to hit that New York Times list are fairly onerous and requires a fairly large business and marketing platform to be able to do. That doesn't mean that you can't have success. It means that you're not ready to play at that level. And you, you know, you, you asked on the previous interview about going viral. Well, you're not going to go viral if you can't run that New York Times campaign. And even then, it, it may not be sufficient enough to even hit the, the standards or the, the volume of interest to hit critical mass, right? It, it's the beginning. If we if we could run a New York Times campaign, then we have a shot at maybe hitting critical mass and then for word of mouth to picking up. But if you're not there, what you have to do is build the business and the platform to the point where you can do that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you said, uh, you know, people who have to be ready to play at that level. So who is ready to play at that level and who's not? Well, let me give you the let me give you the standards and then I'll let you the audience decide. That's great. It's, not, yeah. it's not a matter of I'd be saying you're ready and you're not. It's like, can you hit three or four fifths of the standards based on your platform or not? Right. Yeah. If you could throw the cash at it, sure, we could we we could do something. It's not as effective for the outcome if you're throwing money at it, but you have to hit the five standards. So when I started 25 years ago, um, we could run um all of our efforts at Amazon and make the New York Times list. Um, and that was fine. And there were real sales, like we we're just focused online. And and New York Times then changed their standards. And they said, cool, um, we have to have a minimum of three reporting channels. Cool. So now we have Amazon and Barnes and Noble and at back then borders. And then they said, well, now we need we, we need five plus we need three um independence. Okay, cool. So when we start, you know, these are the rules, cool. We'll we'll start adding those things in. And over time they started adding more and more standards. So about 15 years ago, they added in a standard about retail distribution. If you don't have enough books on the brick and mortar shelves, not Amazon, but the brick and mortar shelves, well, then you don't qualify. And then in um, February of 2017, they made their, their biggest change because here's the, the secret for that, you know, but your audience may not. 
New York Times is not a real bestsellers list. They don't count real sales in real time. They're a sophisticated poll. And what they're doing is justifying um, the books they include or exclude on um, from their list. And in fact, in their fine print on the list uh, itself, it says that they are an editorial list. So they have editorial discretion to change uh, or to include or exclude or change positioning at their whim. Now, um, the New York Times has gotten a bit of flack for that. Um, and so they have put in place these standards that if you meet the standards that they'll at least allow you on the list, even if they don't put you in the proper position. Um, but they, they got a lot of flack from conservative authors and politicians for being excluded from the list when they really should have made the list because they have the volume to be there. And so they've put these standards in. If you make it, then you'll make the list. Again, they won't guarantee position, but they'll, they'll at least allow you to, to make the list. And so the standards that we look at today is number one is retail distribution. So what they're looking for in any given week is um, that of the books on the shelf, that they're not seeing more than 70% of the books on the shelf being reported because that doesn't happen normally. It's not a common occurrence. And so if I need to run a bestseller campaign in order to hit the sales criteria, which is the next one, um, I need at least 7,500 to 10,000 sales. So that means I need 15 to 20,000 units on the shelf, which goes back to a, a, a previous conversation about distribution. But in order to qualify for the New York Times, if I don't have 15 to 20,000 units on the shelf, it, I can't I can't qualify. So there, we have to figure that whole system out. Um, the next standard is then sales. And so when I work with a client on the New York Times, we the minimum pre-sales that we go for is 20,000. Um, and that's because we're running 7,500 to 10,000 sales per week, and we usually run multiple weeks, right? Um, our objective is to pre-sell the book so that I have control, so that I can make sure that I give the right number of sales to the right retailers in the right time frame to ensure compliance and reporting and so that they fit within the algorithms over at the bestsellers. Now, some people will say, well, is that ethical or not? I don't think it's unethical. I think it's entirely ethical because they set up a standard that's based on their own ed editorial discretion. And okay, fine, that's their that that's their right to do. We're going to do everything that we can to be able to make sure that we hit it. And oh, by the way, if the New York Times wants to put a journalist or author of their own on the list selling one book, they can do that anyway. Like that's not fair either. So yeah. to me, what we look at what we're doing is equalizing the the footprint for people who can come in and, and work at that level. When, real so, quick, when you say give sales to a platform, um, what do you mean by that? Like give give sales to like a, a different retailer? Like how does so, so drive we, traffic? So we pre-sell 20,000 books. Um, yeah. I need to give Amazon needs sales, Barnes & Noble needs sales, Books A Million needs sales, Hudson's needs sales, Parodies needs sales, Costco needs sales, Target needs sales, Walmart needs sales. They all have to be reporting in uh, because New York Times is looking at based on a weighting system, this is the percentage of sales that we're, we're looking for. So if you are my client, what I would do is have you sell on your website or like with Harvecker, we, we talked about Tara Becker. Um, what he did at events is he sold his book in quantity to the audience. We would take the customer's money and their mailing address. And then I would take that sale and give it to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million and back then Borders and, and the other retailers. And the retailer would then take the money and fulfill the delivery of the book to the consumer. Oh, I see. Okay. That, that sounds very time intensive. <laughs> it's massively time intensive. And it's it's why we do what we do because yeah. 
having the relationships and the models and the systems in place allow us to be able yeah, to do that. that makes sense. So what the author can focus on is the, that pre-sales process where they're, we're get, getting the, the sales. Yeah. And so, by the way, with this, think about, we we're talking about building a platform um, and the bestseller versus the value of the outcome. We, we talked on the previous call about the cost per acquisition of being 20 to $50. Think about the amount of work and effort it takes to sell 20,000 books. Definitionally, the effort it takes to sell 20,000 books is going to grow your company. This is why, why buying and get, buying your own book and giving it, giving it away doesn't make any sense because there's no intrinsic value in giving a book away, but there is intrinsic value in being able to sell you a book because you, you, if you're buying the book, what you're psychologically saying to yourself and to me is that you're going to read the book. Right. That is that is the process you've got to get beyond is as, as a consumer is will I read this book or not? Will I spend the time? Yeah. And so the amount of effort it takes to convince 20,000 people to read a book is massively significant and is going to definitionally grow your business. Even if only 10% of them read the book, you now have 2,000 people who are massively indoctrinated into your material, and that's going to massively increase the number of them that work with you in whatever capacity based on your business model. And so that by itself is going to grow your, your company. So you've got retail distribution, you've got pre-selling 20,000. They then, um, in 2017, February, they what happened was that they had ballooned out New York Times to 20 lists, and they had increased the number of spots on all of their lists. And what they did is they, they paired it back to seven lists, and they got rid of a number of lists, including their ebook bestseller list. And so what they then said was, well, we're, we're not going to do an ebook list, but we're going to make ebooks a standard. So you need to be able to have, when we see the print sales, you need to have enough uh, ebook sales happening at the same time. Now, there's a number of different ways to do that. But for most of my clients, selling a $25 book and a 99 cent ebook, they kind of, they bastardize each other. And so um, if you could do both, Brent, I've had clients who have the platform sufficiently large enough to do both. Um but we we also have a, a book club where we have members who sign up to be able to get the ebooks and we're able to to get the uh, the ebook into the, to enough hands, roughly ten thousand hands during the time frame that we're running those sales. So ebooks is a standard. But again, your times is a sophisticated poll. So what they're doing is looking at validating why these sales are happening. It's not just we've got the books on the shelf and we see the sales and we see the ebook sales. Why are we seeing it? And so, in February of 2017, they launched their own equivalent of what Google does for spidering the internet. And when Google spiders the internet, what they're doing is they're trying to validate the quality of a website to the consumer so that they can come up with their Google ranking. What the New York Times is doing is they're trying to validate that there's enough conversation and discussion about the titles that they're including on their list online. And so if there's not enough conversation online, then they, they will exclude the book from consideration for their list. And so they look at things like our guesstimation from running these campaigns since then is that we look at within the month that we run the campaigns, about 350 blogs talking about the book, 90 podcasters talking about the book, 90 vloggers talking about the book, working to figure out campaigns online to be able to get 50,000 consumers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn each talking about the book. Now, 
consider that by itself, right? Depending on what your business model is, if you're an online business and you can do that, the cost of that may be very low. You're hitting a New York Times standard, but also in doing that, that's yeah. going to grow your company. Yeah. You've got all these things like the selling 20,000 books is going to grow your company. Selling 10,000 eBooks is going to grow your company. Doing this massive amount of online work is going to grow your company. Each yeah. one of these things grow the company depending on what uh, how it grows. It's, it's going to depend on what that outcome was. Yeah. Right. So you've got that. Now you move to the final, uh, which is traditional media, we're old school uh, media, which is TV, radio, and print. And so what they're looking for is that you as the author uh, or your book have been mentioned uh, in TV in 100 unique markets, in radio in 100 unique markets, and in print in 100 unique markets. And they have their own technology to be able to go figure that out. Now, doing that within a 30-day period of time, that's going to grow your company as well. As long as you're tying it back um, from a messaging standpoint to your business, that's going to grow your company. Now do all of that at the same time. When all of those things happen at the same time, it's not like it's not one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals five. It's yeah. now it's one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals 10 or 20 or 30. All of these things. Compounding. It's People are seeing you in seven places. and Exactly. And so that's where then you have the opportunity. Mm. If you do that, where maybe we can start talking about the opportunity for critical mass. Maybe yeah. we can we can move it to a point where there's enough people out there in a sure enough period of time talking about it where word of mouth can pick up. But if yeah. you can play at that level, like all of these things, that, the, the first thing that we mentioned was retail distribution. Okay. If you do these other four things, then we can use that to go back to the to Barnes Noble Books a Million and, and Hudson's and the retailers to help justify why they're bringing in the books. Yeah. Right. Again, if we don't have if we don't have that, we don't qualify anyway, but also if we know that 80% of the books that are sold in the market are sold through those brick and mortar stores, well, we better by golly make sure we're doing the things to get that distribution. And if we have that and we're doing this, now we have an opportunity for, the, as they say, lifting, uh, raising, uh, lifting tides raise all, raises all ships, right? You have, model there. you have completely reframed how I uh, see what you do. I, I, this is a completely different game that you are playing and it is uh exciting i'm sure for the authors who get to work with you we are we have four minutes left here michael um i still want to talk with you specifically about retail distribution i still want to talk with you about um you know creating making other lists like usa today uh wall street journal we didn't even touch on those but uh, would you please would you accept an invitation to come back on another time for us to talk about this stuff of course absolutely I, this is I have pages of notes here, uh, copious amounts, uh, and I'm really excited to share this one. Michael, such a pleasure. Uh, it's amazing that you're willing to uh, to even just be here uh, teaching us about this stuff. So I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. It's my pleasure. I have a, a real quick. I have a, a value. Um, one of my clients is Garrett Gunnerson. He wrote a book titled, titled "Killing Sacred Cows," and he has this value that he believes that everyone is born on this planet with a soul purpose, an S-O-U-L purpose. And our soul purpose is given to us, not for us, but for this, uh, for our service of our fellow man. And my soul purpose is about voice, helping people find, test, and amplify their voice. And so I've, I've been doing this for 25 years. It's been my life mission. And that's why I'm willing to, to come on because I want to be able, it, it's not that I want people to be scared by the standards because someone could could take away this information. Well, I could I could never do that. Rather than being scared, I want to set the context of what's needed because there are other things that you can do to help you build to that point. And if you know the game, if you know the rules of the system, and you know how these things work, 
it should be empowering to you. It should be empowering to you that you that we can take your voice and we can build it up in a way that ultimately you can broadcast it at that level. Don't be afraid of it. No, that's just one of the outcomes that we're aiming to build towards. And we can get to that point. Motorbook.com is your website. Is that one of the, is that the best place for people to come learn more from you and hear about what you do? Yeah, promoter books. Uh, great. Uh, we do a, a Raya retreat a couple times a year in Guatemala. Uh, and that's at book, uh, bookretreat.com. So promoterbook.com or bookretreat.com are our main sites. Those are great, uh, great domains. And that's all. Yeah, that's a whole nother. I think next time, you know, we'll do two more uh, conversations. One about how do you actually, you know, what do you do with your people who get down to Guatemala with you, which also sounds like such a terrible place to uh, to write a book. And uh, and two, I want to hear more about how the retail uh, side of things work. So um, amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I know there's many other things you could have been doing during this time, and I hope you found this episode incredibly useful for you and your journey. And if you did, or if you have any feedback, I would love to hear that in a review on Apple. That would be fantastic or anywhere else that you are listening to this show. So thank you. And if you're the type of listener that is also an author or looking to be an author soon, feel free to email me at alex at advancedamazonads.com. That's alex at advancedamazonads.com. And I'll add you to our weekly newsletter where I send out all of the best marketing tips I've ever heard from authors that I've had on this show and many of the authors that we work with. So I look forward to hearing from you if that's something you'd find useful. And either way, I look forward to having you back for our next episode.